Welcome to the American Citizens Abroad Taxcast. I'm Michelle, and today we're speaking with David McKeegan, enrolled agent and co-founder of Greenback Expat Tax Services, Daria Proharenko, CPA with Greenback Expat Tax Services for over seven years, along with Charles Bruce, legal counsel of ACA and chairman of ACA's sister organization, ACA Global Foundation. Now let's get into it. Thanks, David, Daria, and Charles for joining us. I appreciate you making the time. Good to be here. Thanks, Michelle. Happy to be here. My pleasure. Daria, let's begin by focusing on the most important parts of the CARES Act, paying close attention to the parts of greatest interest for individual expats. What do you think are the most important provisions in the CARES Act? Which ones should taxpayers focus on? First, taxpayers should make sure that they understand the IRS's new tax deadlines, both the April 15th deadline for those living in the United States, as well as the automatic June 15th extension for expats living abroad, have been extended to July 15th. This means that all income tax returns and payments are now due July 15th. This applies to individuals, businesses, and trusts. Next, people should familiarize themselves with the provision of the CARES Act that deals with the direct relief payment to individuals. The Act provides a one-time payment of up to $1,200 per individual and $500 per child under 17 for those who qualify. To qualify, you will need a social security number and you cannot be a dependent of another individual. The maximum payment will go to individuals with incomes of 75,000 or less or 150,000 in the case of married couples. The rebate amount is reduced for those with higher incomes the rebates are available to Americans living abroad as well. So expats will definitely want to make sure they are up to date on their tax returns to be eligible. These are the main provisions of the CARES Act that will impact the majority of Americans. However, based on your specific situation, other provisions may also apply to you. For instance, if you own a U.S. business, if you own a home in the United States, or if you're a student, additional relief could be available to you. So mainly people will want to make sure that they understand the new tax deadlines and how the direct payments will work. Aside from that, if they have a unique situation, they'll want to look into the other provisions that apply to them. In dealing with taxpayers wanting to obtain a recovery rebate as large as possible and as quickly as possible, what are the issues that Greenback is running into? Mainly rebates are being delivered electronically by direct deposit, which operates the same way as the direct deposit for regular tax refunds. So if you've set up direct deposit when you filed a previous tax return, you're all set. If not, the Treasury has provided an online portal where you can provide your banking information for the rebate. This has worked well for some taxpayers, but others have experienced technical issues. The IRS has indicated that this is due to either not qualifying or that the system simply has not updated with the taxpayer's specific details. As far as we can tell, this is not specific for Americans abroad. The IRS does update the system daily, so checking in once a day is suggested. Still, setting up direct deposit is more of a challenge for Americans living abroad because you'll actually need a U.S. bank account. If you don't have a U.S. bank account, a good approach is a State Department Federal Credit Union checking account, which is actually available with ACA membership 
I believe this is explained on the ACA website. Regardless, it's best to take action right away. If you're not able to provide any kind of direct deposit information, the checks will be mailed to the last mailing address that the IRS has on file. The recovery rebate will be available until the end of the year, but everyone would like to have this in their bank account as soon as possible as it is not earning interest while it's with the Treasury Department. For those who have questions or need to file a 2018 or 19 tax return in order to be eligible, Greenback is happy to answer questions and help you get caught up. Is the rebate amount taxable or is it excluded from income? ACA is getting a lot of questions asking if an individual decides to contribute their rebate to a charity, like a local food bank. Is that deductible? The stimulus rebates are not taxable, so the checks won't lead to a higher tax bill in 2021. Also, a lot of people have been asking if the rebates will have to be repaid. The IRS has indicated that the rebate will not need to be repaid. However, it is still unclear how exactly the true up will work on the 2020 tax return. Now, if you choose to contribute part of your rebate check to a charity, you can claim the contribution as a deduction, so long as the charity qualifies as a recipient. For tax purposes, gifts to a non-US or foreign organization do not qualify as a deduction. This would also include religious organizations, such as churches, synagogues, mosques, temples in a foreign country. However, you may be able to find a Friends of organization to support a similar charity. I believe the IRS website has this information. CARES has made a couple of changes to the tax rules for charitable contributions. Typically, only those who claim itemized deductions can deduct charitable gifts. However, CARES added a universal deduction of up to $300 for charitable gifts in 2020, and this is available to all taxpayers this year. Also, CARES eliminated the limitation on individual cash charitable contributions during 2020. The limit is typically 60% of adjusted gross income. So now individuals can contribute any portion of their income. Let's talk a little bit about the mechanics of the rebates. First, how do people estimate what they might get in the way of a rebate? How do they determine if they are eligible to receive one? There are some sites such as the Washington Post and Forbes, and they have set up calculators to use those, you'll enter your income level, filing status, and number of dependent children, and the calculator will show your estimated rebate amount. Generally speaking, the maximum amount is $1,200 for individuals with income less than $75,000. This is reduced for people with higher income, and payments phase out entirely at $99,000. These thresholds are doubled for married couples. There's also a $500 payment per dependent child, which is not dependent on the income level. Is there a deadline for claiming the rebate? Is there a finite amount of money set aside to pay rebate claims, like first come, first serve? There is no first come, first serve element. For those that did not receive the payment in 2020 or who were underpaid, there will be a true up 
on the 2020 return, which is filed in calendar year 2021, where the payment will take the form of a tax credit, reducing the tax reflected on the return. In regard to the current payout, it appears that the first round went out the week ending April 17 to those individuals for whom the IRS already had direct deposit information. For everyone remaining, the payments will be paid out based on the income level on the 2018 or 2019 tax return. Rebates can be sent to the taxpayer either in the form of paper checks to their last known address in the U.S. or elsewhere, or by electronic transfer. How can one arrange for an electronic transfer? What is Greenback recommending and what can it do to help? Does it actually help clients maneuver through the Treasury portal or help them with a U.S. financial account or something else? Many Americans abroad have questions about the rebate, especially particularly when setting up a direct deposit. We've been addressing those and helping our clients troubleshoot as much as possible. In some cases, this might involve recommending an ACA membership-enabled SDFCU account if they don't already have a U.S. bank account. And of course, ACA membership has other benefits, so this is something that might help our clients in other ways in the future. Plus, our clients are entitled to discounted membership, which is helpful to many right now. We're also helping those who haven't filed for 2018 or 2019 get caught up so they can claim their rebates. This is a common situation for expats, so we're very familiar with it and very efficient in helping people become compliant quickly, which is obviously critical in the current environment. One way to ensure a quick and secure rebate is to have filed a 2019 or 2018 tax return, especially with direct deposit information. And for those who haven't filed, they can quickly do so. However, many Americans abroad have not filed returns or may not have filed returns for a long time. How is Greenback handling this sensitive subject? It's true that many American expats have not been filing tax returns. They are, strictly speaking, out of compliance. There are many reasons for this, and the story is long and complicated. As we all know, there are many so-called accidental Americans. For an example, an individual might have been born in the U.S. of non-U.S. parents. Maybe they were in school while in the U.S. And just by virtue of this individual being born in the United States, he becomes a U.S. citizen. Many of these people simply did not know that they were U.S. citizens and therefore did not know that they should be filing U.S. tax returns. An individual like this might have learned about the problem in the wake of the enactment of FATCA as a result of the foreign banks doing rigorous due diligence on their account holders. Not wishing to digress here, the difficult question is what can a person out of compliance do? First, as tax professionals, we can only advise that these individuals bring themselves into compliance. Fortunately, this is often more straightforward than one might think. If the taxpayer lives overseas, individuals can use a form of voluntary compliance called the Streamlined Foreign Offshore Procedure. They will have to file delinquent or amended tax returns for the most recent three years for which the U.S. tax return due date has passed and FBARs for the most recent six years for which the FBAR due date has passed. The full amount of tax and interest due in connection with these filings must be paid at the time of filing. So long as the lack of filing was non-willful, <laughs> meaning you didn't intentionally break the law because you didn't know that you needed to file or something similar, 
Tax penalties and FR penalties are not imposed. That is, they are in effect waived. Greenback is very familiar with these cases, having worked on many of them. Of course, every case is unique and everything depends upon the particular set of facts. Let me make just a, a comment at this point. The situation for taxpayers who are out of compliance is one that must be handled with a great deal of care. If the taxpayer was non-willful, the results are quite favorable. But if this is not the case, sizable penalties and interest are not at all unusual. Everything hinges upon the certification of non-willfulness, which you'll find in uh, Form 14653. And we'll add that to the notes of this podcast. It's tempting for the taxpayers to fudge the truth. This is absolutely a bad idea and can make a bad situation much worse. On top of this, the advisor, say the enrolled agent or CPA, is compelled by Treasury Department and professional rules to play it straight. Also, if there is an investigation of any sort and the taxpayer is asked for underlying information, including documents, emails, things of that sort, he will not be able to simply say no. If some of this information was shared with the accountant or return preparer, for sure that information is not protected by any confidentiality privilege. My point here is not to be menacing or scary on this subject, but I don't want to sugarcoat it either. It's necessary to caution everyone that missteps must be avoided. Taxpayers in this situation almost always should consult an attorney. The CPA or return preparer will almost certainly encourage the individual to do this. One more thing, when looking for an attorney to consult, as with so many things in life, it's a good idea to shop around a bit. There's nothing wrong with the CPA or return preparer giving you a name. However, I would suggest that the taxpayer should be wary of giving just, just one name. So enough on this subject, just to slow down and avoid missteps. This is a good segue to mention ACA's fantastic tax services directory, which has about 400 listings, and it's also where you can find this podcast. There's also some useful information on this in the FAQ section. I've included a direct link to it in the show notes for our listeners. Daria, going back to rebates, if the size of the rebate is determined by the IRS from one's 2019 or 2018 tax return, how should a taxpayer quickly file a 2019 return if they haven't already? Or is it better to wait and have it based on their 2018 return? I imagine they can pick which they want the IRS to refer to, right? So this is an interesting question because technically, the stimulus checks are credits on your 2020 taxes, which will be filed in 2021. However, to get you the money right now, the IRS is using your 2019 or 2018 income as a reference point. So if it turns out that you should receive a larger credit based on your 2020 income, it was lower, then you will receive the difference next year. On the other hand, you won't be penalized if your 2020 income is higher than in 2019 or 2018. 
in terms of your question, if your 2018 income is lower than your 2019 income and your projected 2020 income, then you could argue that it would be best for the IRS to use this return to calculate the rebate. However, my sense is that for many people, this won't have a large impact in the long run because if you are due a larger rebate based on your 2020 income, you'll eventually receive that amount anyway. Plus, with funds already being delivered and because we have no idea of the order in which the IRS is distributing these rebates, it may not be worth the stress of postponing your 2019 tax return at this stage. It's worth noting that we are recommending that expats file their 2019 returns as soon as possible. It is true that payments can be deferred until the July 15th deadline, but at a time like this, it's helpful to know the outcome of your return. For instance, you might be able to plan for the payment if taxes are due, or you might come to find that you don't owe anything or that you're even due a refund. Regardless of the case, it can be beneficial to know your situation ahead of time. ACA knows that expats who rely upon Social Security income are those who have such a low level of income that they generally haven't needed to file a return. They're worried about how this will work for them. What can you tell them? What are the features or concerns you would point out to those receiving Social Security payments? Age and income sources do not matter when it comes to determining if you'll get a stimulus check. So those who receive Social Security were not excluded from receiving this money. The income thresholds are the same as for all other taxpayers. Most individuals on Social Security won't need to do anything to get this money because the IRS will determine income and eligibility from 2018 or 2019 tax returns if they filed them or from their Social Security benefit statement. The exceptions are if you have child dependents, but you didn't file a tax return in 2018 or 2019. In this case, the IRS won't know that you have dependents, so you'll miss out on the $500 you're entitled to for each child that you're supporting. Also, if you just started receiving Social Security in 2020 and you didn't file a tax return in either 18 or 19, in both of these cases, you should visit the IRS website and use their portal to update your information. Charles, is there anything about the mechanics that might be added before we move on? Okay. Picking up on something Daria mentioned earlier, I would just add that many people will want to obtain their rebate electronically with the IRS sending the repayment directly to their bank account rather than the having to rely upon getting a check through the mail. To make this work, it appears at present that the individual needs a U.S. bank account. Many expats, for good reason, don't have a U.S. bank account, and it's difficult, in fact, almost impossible to quickly open a U.S. bank account, especially if you don't have a residence or some other physical presence in the States. Starting back in 2015, ACA started working with the State Department Federal Credit Union to make its U.S. accounts available to ACA's members. Accounts can be opened easily and quickly, and in fact, entirely online. There may be other ways to solve the problem, but ACA recommends SDFCU for people in need of a solution. And we're going to post a link to the information on the ACA website, which tells you everything you need to know 
and, and maybe more about this subject. Daria, let's talk about the retirement provisions. One of these new provisions has to do with relief from the Rule for Required Minimum Distributions, aka RMDs. For example, some who have an IRA must make an annual distribution once they reach a certain age or be hit with a penalty. Can you tell us about this new provision and any other changes affecting retirement arrangements? You are correct. Probably the biggest change the CARES Act made to retirement provisions was to suspend all required minimum distributions for 2020. This means that retirees can leave their retirement accounts alone for an entire year. Due to the uncertainty in the economy, many retirement accounts might have seen a decline at the start of the year after having high values at the end of 2019, which is the point in when RMDs would have been calculated. It can be a benefit to retirees to leave their investments alone for a year and let them recover rather than have the loss crystallized. The CARES Act also increased thresholds for 401k loans and extended the period for repayment so that if people need to dip into these savings during the crisis, they have more flexibility to do so. There's also a new exception for coronavirus-related distributions from IRAs, which typically don't allow loans. This opens up another source of funds for people who experience economic hardship because of the individual or their spouse being diagnosed with COVID-19 or they're laid off or in quarantine. The 2020 tax season is in full swing and everyone is under extra pressure with the pandemic, stay-at-home orders, new legislation, and an avalanche of new revenue procedures, technical advisories. Clients are no doubt anxious and pressing Greenback for advice, as well as ACA's members who want news on developments and a help on a range of subjects. Charles, let's chat about current developments and get Greenback's insights. Okay. David, thanks again for sitting down with us. The return preparer community, in fact, is comprised of several populations, large firms, medium-sized firms, smaller firms, entirely online businesses, firms that uh, take taxpayers' data and produce the returns, firms that provide what I'll call do-it-yourself suites of software and other groupings or populations. Where does Greenback fit in this landscape? And more importantly, how is Greenback going about its work in this unusual tax seasons? What do you think are the special challenges? Sure, so Greenback is a 100% virtual business and we specialize in the preparation of expat tax returns. So rather than a DIY solution, our team of accountants are experts in the nuances of the expat tax rules. They handle the tax preparation for our clients, taking it off their plates completely. Greenback is fortunate to be a fully remote business. We have been for many years. So from an operation standpoint for us, it's business as usual. The challenges at the moment is that Americans are dealing with an unprecedented level of uncertainty. For many, it's natural to want to put off something like taxes, especially when the July 15th deadline feels so distant. 
you know, what we're trying to do for people is offer more knowledge sharing, webinars, and specific information we think clients need or can be useful for them. We really want to help them understand what they need to do. And in most cases, we want to help take care of their tax return early so that it's one less thing they have to worry about. Our goal, as always, is to provide expat tax prep that's as hassle-free as possible. This year, that's more important than ever. Stepping back for a moment, what do you think are the effects of the CARES Act? What do you think those effects will be on the community of preparers? At the moment, our clients are looking to us as the experts to help guide them on what to do and how to plan for the future tax implications of the CARES Act. In response, our team is working together to keep close track of updates, share the knowledge that we're gaining from the IRS communications, and communicate about specific situations our clients may be experiencing. At a higher level, I think the broader community of tax preparers and accounting professionals is doing the same thing. We're all working to do the best for our clients and consider both the short and long-term impact of the CARES Act on each individual basis and their unique situation. Earlier, we alluded to the problem of fraud. This includes hacking and the like. Please take a moment to tell us about what Greenback is thinking on this subject, what it has done and continues to do and what it sees as the challenges. And feel free to get a little technical on this subject if you like. Sure, so Greenback provides our clients with access to our secure portal, which we call the Greenback Tax Companion. This portal is protected by the same 256-bit encryption you'd find on any international bank's website. Our clients and accountants use this portal to exchange information securely. There's no other systems or logins used. So this makes it very easy for our clients to confirm that they're using the proper system and that they're sending their information to us, not to some sort of phishing expedition by some hacker out somewhere. And of course, we never use emails for any sensitive tax documents or information, including personal data. So again, our clients know that we would never request this information via email, which helps them flag when those behaviors are suspicious. How the recovery rebates are being handled and the tremendous push for electronic payments brings to mind that where the tax system is going is very much in the direction of electronic everything. Electronic filing, payments, refunds, everything. Even audits are trending in that direction. It's obvious that the IRS is pushing fast and furious for all of us to move into the 21st century. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I think this is good news for expats, most of whom prefer to work, bank, and communicate electronically. It's often difficult for them to receive traditional mail, snail mail as it's called. So having a more robust and reliable online tax system would be a major convenience for many of our clients. Good, thank you for that. David, now here's a question that many of us will be leaning forward to hear your answer. What do you feel about switching 
from citizenship-based taxation to residency-based taxation. Uh, I've heard it recently that coronavirus relief rebates are like a tasty waffle, but residency-based taxation is like beef wellington. What is your reaction to the idea of making this historic change? What would the change mean for Greenback? That's a very complicated question. If you look at the other countries who operate on a citizenship-based tax system, there's three of us in total. So it's the United States, Eritrea, and North Korea. We're not exactly in good company in this. As an expat and someone who's lived abroad for nearly 20 years, the idea of a residency-based taxation system is really appealing. Currently, the U.S. has an unprecedented amount of debt and will need tax revenue to pay that debt off at some point. I can't see the government voluntarily shrinking the tax base, but for the average U.S. expat, the system's really complex, and even if you don't owe the IRS anything at the end of the day, the cost of compliance can be a financial burden. I think that a system would need to be developed where people can easily opt in or out of the tax system based on their situation. I attended a seminar a couple years ago where a citizen of New Zealand explained exiting the New Zealand tax system, and it consisted of filling out one to two page form and submitting it to the local tax office. He was told, if you move back to New Zealand, please fill out this form and you'll be back in the tax system. I think it would be amazing if the U.S. could adopt something like that. The U.S. tax system is so complex and so confusing that I can't really see a path towards this type of system anytime soon. I'm not sure what it would mean for Greenback exactly because we'd have to see how the program was structured. I would imagine that you would always have folks that were coming in and going out of the system. So maybe we would just need to focus more on those clients and really the transition between entering and exiting the U.S. tax system. And with that, I'd like to thank David, Daria, and Charles for joining us today. We know how busy all of you are, and we greatly appreciate your time, expertise, and thoughts. The American Citizens Abroad TaxCast is edited and produced by me, Michelle, and is a product of American Citizens Abroad. It is published on the 15th and at the end of each month. You can get in touch with us at podcast at americansabroad.org. Remember, give us a good rating on Apple Podcasts so other Americans living abroad can find us. 